0: Wonderful. How many of you brought your Bible with you? Will you hold up the Word of God this morning and take your Bible down now and join me, if you will, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 this morning. The Gospel of Luke chapter 19. I want to read some verses here in just a moment if you'll leave your Bibles open here. And then I want to go back to this text as I bring the message. I have three short, simple things to say about this great text this morning. In Luke chapter nineteen. All right? The Gospel of Luke. That's page eleven hundred and three if you have an old Schofield Bible. And if you if you don't, then it's what? The third gospel, Matthew, Mark, and then the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament. All right? Don't forget again our service tonight. By the way, remember Robert Atkins in prayer. Brother Robert was involved in a very serious car wreck yesterday and is a very Uh, shook up, though he wasn't, you know, as far as broken bones or anything, at least as it stands now. But pray for him, if you will. He's very, as you well know if you've been involved in anything like that, very sore, very bruised up. So please remember to pray for Brother Robert uh, this morning in prayer. I'm not sure, was Linda in the car with him, Brother Don? Where's Brother Don at? But was she in the car? I, I I don't all right I don't know. But anyway, please remember to pray for them this morning. All right, the Gospel of Luke chapter nineteen. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. If you were to grab a calendar today, a calendar and just look at it today, naturally it would say April the fourteenth of two thousand and nineteen. But biblically speaking, today is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Now, let me tell you why that's important because literally uh, 2,000-plus years ago uh, in the the prophecy of time, this would be the day that the Lord Jesus would enter the city of Jerusalem for the very last time. Now, we refer to that as the triumphant entry of the Lord Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Now, what's so important about this event is this. His entry into the city of Jerusalem will mark the beginning of of the last week in the earthly life of our Lord. From here on out, things will begin with rapid succession to take place that will eventually culminate in the crucifixion of the Son of God and, of course, the next Sunday as we celebrate his victorious resurrection from the grave. But it all begins with this entry, this triumphant entry on Palm Sunday into the city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, we know that Jesus has been to the city of Jerusalem many times before. He was there when he was only 12 years old. His mom and his daddy took him up. Uh, Earthly father, Joseph, took him up to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He was there at the beginning of his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old as he went inside of the temple and overthrew the tables and with a scourge and a whip drove people out of the house of God who was making merchandise of the house of God. He was often found during that three plus years of his earthly ministry, he was often found within the city of Jerusalem healing and teaching the great multitudes. But never before had Jesus ever entered into the city of Jerusalem as he does in our text. So what I'd like to do, if you will, join me now in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Let me begin with verse 35. The Bible says, "...and they brought him to Jesus." Speaking about a colt, a donkey. "...and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way." And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now, as we enter this text, the Bible said that Jesus has came into the city of Jerusalem upon a a donkey. And there's great multitudes going before and behind Him and they're praising Him and acclaiming Him as the Son of God. Now, what we have here in our text is a complete reversal from uh, what Jesus has normally done during His earthly ministry. Normally, Jesus, regardless of what has taken place, whether it was some kind of a healing or some kind of spectacular miracle that he's done, Jesus normally told people not to tell anybody about what's happened. I mean, it's almost like Jesus wanted to withdraw from the public eye. He didn't want any publicity during those In fact, there was one occasion when Jesus healed a man from leprosy. Now, let me tell you, if you had leprosy in those days, it was a terminal illness. You were not going to survive if you had leprosy. Leprosy affected your body in various ways, but it actually was a disease of the nerves. And eventually the body parts would begin to rot and fall off, and you would die an excruciating and a terrible death. But when Jesus came, Jesus began to touch the lepers and to heal the lepers of their leprosy. He healed them from certain death. Well, in Luke chapter 5, he healed a leper. And then Jesus looked at that leper, and here's what he said to him. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 14. And he charged him, the man that he had just healed, he charged him to tell no man. Now, wait a minute. I mean, if, if that were me, I mean, I'd want to go tell everybody. But Jesus looked at that leper and here's what he said. He said, shh, don't say anything to anybody about what's happened. But when we come to Luke chapter 19, all of that is now reversed. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to draw attention to himself. It is almost as if Jesus is saying to the multitude, what I want you to do now, I want you to look at... Me. Now you got to understand the city of Jerusalem at this particular time of the year is filled with people. These are the days of Passover. And Passover celebrated that great exodus of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery. And Jews from all over the world have made the pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem. Josephus, who was a famous Jewish historian, says that normally during the time of the Passover that two to three million people crowded, packed themselves inside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And above all things, in this very festive occasion, here comes the Lord Jesus riding upon a donkey into this mob of people. Now, let me tell you this. Jesus is more. He's doing more than just out for a Sunday drive. You remember when we were growing up? I don't know how it was at your house, but every Sunday afternoon, Mom and Daddy, after church, after we ate dinner, would pile us all in the car and we would go on a Sunday drive. Sometimes that drive would last two to three hours. We'd ride to the country. We'd ride on the mountains. We'd ride on the parkway. Sometimes we'd maybe venture down a little bit and come down this way and just ride around. But let me tell you, when Jesus rode into the city of that day, it was more than just a Sunday ride. That's right. In fact, Jesus was actually fulfilling Old Testament uh, an Old Testament prophecy about himself that a prophet some 450 years before this had said one day, one day the king of Israel will ride into the city of Jerusalem upon a donkey. There's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Zechariah and here's what he said about this situation. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of of and I ask. So, what Jesus is literally doing here, he is making an official presentation of himself to the nation of Israel. In fact, what he's saying is this He's saying to them personally, and he's saying to the world universally, I am the King, I am the Son of God, I am the Savior of the world. Jesus was presenting himself for who he really was. But now you might well imagine the response of the Romans that were gathered inside of the city of Jerusalem that day. I'm told that during these feast days that Roman authorities beefed up security in the city of Jerusalem. Much like our city of Washington with our president, with many who don't like the president, and they beef up security around the White House on those days that they have marches and protests and things of that nature because they've got to secure that place. Well, the Roman authorities knew that Jerusalem was a hot spot. I mean, it was a political hot spot, and oftentimes there were uprisings there. So when these feasts came along, they beefed up their soldiers. They increased the numbers of their soldiers there to make sure that things didn't get out of hand. Well, you can just imagine these Roman soldiers there that day when Jesus come riding into the city of Jerusalem. Here's those disciples following behind him and here are those waving those palm branches. you got to know those Roman soldiers must have snickered to themselves. You see, in ancient times when a Roman general would return victorious from a war, there was much pomp and pageantry. Yeah, they would parade a host of animals through the streets such as elephants and tigers and then here would come the victorious general riding in a golden glistening chariot pulled by two mighty stallions and the fragrance of incense filled the air as thousands of soldiers marched behind the victorious Roman emperor with their swords drawn in their hand while people who lined the streets praised and shouted accolades to the emperor and yet in this situation here comes one who says I'm the king, and he's not riding in a glistening golden chariot. He's not being pulled by two mighty stallions. There's not incense being burnt everywhere. There's no shouts coming from the streets. There's no swords drawn in praise to the king. Instead, a little motley crew is following before and behind the Lord Jesus, and they're waving their palm branches and spreading their clothes in the way. And he isn't riding a fancy horse-drawn chariot and said the Lord has sent his disciples over into a nearby village to get a donkey to ride upon and officially present himself as Israel's king. I can hear them Roman soldiers say, what a bunch of yahoos, what a bunch of hicks, what a bunch of rednecks and hillbillies. But they just didn't know. They didn't understand who that one riding upon that donkey really was. And as I begin to look at this text this morning, and this is it's simple, but it's, it's true, I want to show you three crowds of people that were present the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. Stay with me for just a moment. Let me, maybe I'll say it like this. There are three responses given by the crowds of the people that day as Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. First of all, look, if you will, at verse 35 and 36, verse 37, verse 38. Number one, we find there are those, watch this now, there are those who cheered. There are those who cheered. Now, we read about that. Look back up into verse number 35 and verse 36. The Bible said they brought this donkey to Jesus. And then they put their garments, they took their cloaks off and they put their garments upon the coat. Then they set Jesus up on top of that thing. And the Bible said in verse 36, as they went, they spread their clothes in the way. And then the Bible said as he neared the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty things, the mighty works that they had seen Jesus do. Then they begin to say this, Blessed blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the, the highest. Now watch this. I, I don't know what all was going on that day, but I know one time it was a, it was a, it was a time of celebration. I mean, here are multitudes that are crying out with a loud voice. They're shouting as they follow Jesus before and behind into the city of Jerusalem. And they're praising him for all the mighty things that they had seen him do. Now, wait a minute. I don't know. I have no idea who all must have been in that crowd. But I'd like to use my sanctified imagination and just imagine a few of them. I think, number one, Lazarus has got to be in that crowd. I mean, r- prior to this incident, you me tell you what Jesus did... Old Lazarus had died and been dead for four days. Now you do the math, that's 96 hours. He's been dead for four days. Jesus walked out there to that graveyard and the Bible said that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said he that was dead walked out of the tombs alive. I can see old Lazarus maybe say something like this, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. As we further look around in that crowd, I I can't help but think that the maniac of Gadara had to be in that crowd. I mean, there he was. I mean, man, he was an emotional wreck. His life was ruined. His life was being destroyed. He had nothing to live for whatsoever. He was constantly trying to cut himself with the rocks to commit suicide. He was so miserable because of the existence of his life. He had absolutely nothing to live for. But unbeknownst to that maniac of Gadara, one night across the lake, across the sea a little ship set sail bouncing up and down on the waves and after a terrible storm they finally got there Jesus stepped off the bows of that boat walked into the land of Gadara and the next thing you know that old boy that had nothing to live for whose life was a wreck being destroyed I mean man had nothing going for him living in a graveyard no hope miserable but Jesus did something for him that day oh yeah he had to be in that crowd Oh, I can hear him say, Jesus gave me something worth living for. Boy, I can see those blind people that Jesus has touched. Oh, blind Bartimaeus and some of that crowd that Jesus gave them the sight. Boy, I can see them as they're praising him, saying, I once was blind, but now I see. Boy, I can see the woman taken in the act of adultery. I can see those that have been healed. I can see all those that Jesus has touched. And by the way, can I stop and say this? What He did for them, He can do for you today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And let me just tell you something. He's still healing sick people. He's still giving sight to the blind. He's still giving purpose and meaning to life. He's still, still, ladies and gentlemen, raising dead people back to life again. I'm here to tell you, I don't know what you need. Maybe your life's out of control. Maybe your life's miserable. Maybe you're hooked on drugs or alcohol. Maybe you're hooked on some other kind of a substance and you think there's no hope from Meanwhile, back at the cross, somebody was dying. Jesus, the Son of God, was shedding his blood so that people like you and me could be saved and and changed by the grace of God. Now, normally, Jesus said, Shh, don't tell anybody. But in our text, it almost seems like Jesus is now accepting their praise. In fact... There's a crowd that got on them. I'm going to talk about that crowd in a moment. But if you'll look down at verse number 40, here's what Jesus said. By the way, have you ever said this before? Have you ever said he's dumber than a rock? Now, don't tell nobody because we ain't supposed to talk like that. But have you ever thought she's dumber than a rock? Or maybe at a moment of great weakness in your life, you said it. Well, look what Jesus said in verse 40. They said, Jesus, tell them to shut up. And Jesus said, "I tell you what. He said if they hold their peace, the rocks is going to cry out. Can I tell you something? I don't want to be dumber than a rock. I want to be smarter than a rock. And it's only smart, it's only wise for people that have been helped by the Lord Jesus to go before and behind and say, "Jesus!" made a difference in my life. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. In another gospel text over in Matthew, we're told that they were shouting, Hosanna, which means this, Jesus saves. Hey, don't get upset at me if I raise my voice this morning, but I just want to tell you, Jesus saves this morning. And he still saves today. There were those who cheered. I can't stay quiet about it. I don't want to stay quiet about it. I don't want to be dumber than a rock. I want to tell you today that Jesus not only made a difference in the way that I'm going to die out yonder someday, thank God He made a difference in the way that I'm living today. He did something for me nobody else could do. He's done that for most of the people in this room. No wonder they were cheering. No wonder they were praising. No wonder they were strolling their garments and casting their palm branches forth because Jesus makes a difference, friend. And he still makes a difference to this day. There were those who cheered. I want to be a part of that cheering crowd this morning. Amen. Hey, I want to be a part of that crowd that's shouting about Jesus, that's praising Jesus for what he's done. But then we next we read into a, uh, run into a second group. Because there were not only those who cheered. Watch this. Number two, there were those who jeered, or sneered. That's right. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from among them said unto him, Master, tell them to shut up. Master, rebuke thy disciples. Now watch this. While some were shouting, some were pouting, some were upset about what was going on. They got upset about all the... Shouting, They got upset about all the worship. They got upset about all the praise. The Bible said it was the Pharisees. Watch this. The religious crowd. The religious crowd. They were all, in all actuality the enemies of the Lord Jesus. These Pharisees will ultimately have a hand in putting the Lord Jesus on the cross. They wanted everybody to just be quiet. They were saying, hush. They were saying, quiet. They were saying, no need for all this. There was a crowd that was up shouting, but there was a lot of people that was upset by all that shouting. You know something? That's still true today, isn't it? That's still true today. People still get upset when people begin to praise and worship the Lord. They still get angry. They want to say, hush. They want to say, quiet. They want to say, hold your peace. They want to say, shut up. We don't want that kind of worship going on. It's that religious crowd. It's that religious crowd. They're still alive. they got kin people still alive today. When somebody jumps up with tears streaming down their face and says, Preacher, I've got to say a word about what Jesus did. He got me off of dope and he put me on to hope. He got me out of the mire and put me into the choir. He changed my life and got me out of the house of shame and put me into the hall of fame. He took a bottle and gave me a Bible. He took profanity and gave me praise. I've got to say something, the religious crowd says. Hush. Be quiet. We don't want to hear that stuff. But now what bothers me about that is this. They don't mind if you go to a ball game and shout. I was watching the Green Bay Packers play last, last winter, and uh, I forgot, I think they said it was two below zero. The windshield factor was like 22 below zero. And there was two big old fat guys sitting up there, didn't have a shirt, didn't have a shirt on, that they took their, their, their big bellies and they painted them green, put a big G right in the middle, and they're wearing a cheese hat on top of it. And I can remember the, the announcers vividly saying, they are some dedicated fans. So it's okay to go in 22-degree minus degree weather and sit, in a, sit in, a, in a stadium and shout and do things like that. Or it's okay... To go to Bowman Gray on Saturday night. You're welcome. It's okay to go to Bowman Gray and stand up when your favorite driver passes and give him the number one sign when he comes around your curb. It's okay to shout and throw chicken bones and get excited about what's happening down there. But when you come over here, shh! We don't, we don't want to hear that. Hey, I'm not against getting excited at ball games. I get emotional at ball games. I got tickled. I got thrilled. In fact, my wife, I'm going to tell this owner. she'll probably kill me after church, but we was watching them, and when that boy hit that, that shot the other night that put them into the, either the Elite Eight or the Final Four, she shouted so loud, she set the burglar alarm off at the house. <laughs> Those people called and said, Is there a problem? My wife said, I'm so sorry. I just said, I'm so sorry. Hey, can I tell you, I'm not against that. Hey, you can go to Bowman Gray and, and to do all that and shout when your person wins. No, I don't care about all that, but don't come over here to church after what Jesus has done for us. And set, this to sit around like this is a funeral, like God's dad. Friend, I'm here to tell you something. He's more alive than he's ever been, and he's still changing lives today. Yes, sir. Thank God for Jesus. And it's all right if we get excited about it. Amen. This is the quietest world we're ever going to live in, anyway. When we get to where we're going, it's going to be one long eternal worship service and people going to shout up and down the streets of gold throughout all glory. Hey, we ought to get a little bit warmed up and excited about it because where we're going, that's going to be normal over there. Shh! Don't say nothing. Tell them to hush. We don't want to hear that. Oh, there was a quiet crowd that jeered. Why is it that anything we do for Jesus... They always say it's a waste. You're right. Buddy. Why is that? I'm reminded that right prior to this incident here, that Mary has gone into the house of Simon the leper, where a supper's been thrown in honor of the Lord. She's got a very precious box of alabaster oil, very expensive, very, very costly. She takes that box in there and she breaks it. And she pours it all over the head of Jesus. She gets down with the hairs of her head and begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And the fragrance of that ointment fills that house. And somebody says, why was this waste of the ointment made? Hey, can I tell you something? When we lavish something on Jesus, it's not a waste. It's an investment. I guarantee you through all eternity. In fact, Jesus put it down in the record of Scripture and He said whatsoever in the future what this woman has done will be made of a memorial for her throughout the future. I'm telling you to this very day, Jesus is still honoring that oil that was put upon Him. It wasn't wasted, it was invested. And when we lavish our love and our worship and our praise on the Lord Jesus, we're not wasting it. We're investing it. They didn't go downtown and build a $13 million BB&T park downtown for the Winston-Salem Dash to play. We come over here and want to build a $5 million building, and they say, look at that church wasting its money. Let me ask you something. Who's wasting something? Oh, they're building a building down there for them to serve their bud dummers and their Miller lowlifes, people to go down there and get drunk, get out on the highways and kill other people. They're, they're, they're spending their money on that. We want to try to get people off of that. We want to try to keep families together. We want to try to help folks all. We want to, try to, we want to try to help those that are addicted to get out of the bondage of their sin. And we're wasting it? No, sir, friend. We're investing it. Amen. There were those who cheered. There were those who, who jeered. And then last of all, and this is my whole message, there was, watch this, the one who teared. Now look, if you will, in this text. Look at verse 41. Now before I read the text, how would you expect Jesus to, uh, to respond to this outpouring of worship? I mean, let me say it like this. He's finally getting what he deserves. I mean, he deserves this. I mean, he, he's, he's worthy of, of this. He's finally getting the recognition that ought to be coming toward him. So how did he respond to this notoriety? Did he jump off the donkey? Watch this. Did he jump off the donkey and say... Or... uh, Is that what he did? How did he respond to the notoriety? How did He respond to the acclamations? How did He respond to the worship? Look at verse 41. And when He was come near, He beheld the city. Notice. He wept over it. Yeah, there were some who were cheering. There were some who were sneering and jeering. But there was one who was tearing. Jesus said this, It's my parade, and I'll cry if I want to. That's right. And it's Jesus on that donkey. Well, that crowd praising, that crowd praising, that other crowd standing over there, blowed up like a bullfrog, mad about it. Jesus rode into that city with hot tears coursing down his cheeks. What was he crying about? Well, I think we have a clue when it says that he beheld the city and he wept over it. Now, there are three times. Jesus, so says the Bible, is a man of tears. But there are three times specifically in our Bible that we're told that Jesus wept. Three times. Number one, he wept when his friend Lazarus died. What is that one great verse that all kids can remember? Two words? John 11:35. 35. Say it with me. Jesus wept. He wept. The Bible said that he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at this verse. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him. There in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wept, tears coursed down his cheeks. And yet, we read in our text on what was supposed to have been such a great day of celebration. Jesus is receiving the notoriety that he rightfully deserves. The praise, and the Bible said that he was weeping. Watch this now. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was weeping. Why? Look at verse 42. I think he was weeping because of their rejection. Look at verse 42. If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. Can I paraphrase and put that into Forsyth County language? If you only knew what I was wanting to do, if you only knew how I was wanting to help you, if you only knew what I was trying to give to you, if you only knew what I was trying to take away from you, if you only knew the price that I'd paid for you, if you only knew the peace that I longed to give you. But they rejected that. I think he wept over their rejection. I think, number two, look at verse uh, verse, uh, 43 and verse 44. I think he wept over their retribution. Look again at verse 43. He said this, For the days shall come upon thee. Now he jumps out to the future. In verse 42 he says, Okay, you've rejected me. You, you wouldn't take what I offered you. I wanted to do something for you. You rejected that. Watch this. Jesus said, Okay, look at verse 43. The days are going to come. Then he talks about the things that's going to happen. The enemies are going to cast a trench about thee. In other words, they're going to siege this city. They're going to keep you in. You're going to become a hostage in your own city. Verse 44, They shall lay thee even with the ground, thy children within thee, and they shall not leave, in thee, uh, not leave in thee one stone upon another. You know what Jesus said? Because you have rejected me, judgment is coming upon you. Am I right? Am I reading this in the text? And we know that just a few years after Jesus spoke these words that a Roman emperor by the name of Titus brought the Roman legions down upon the city of Jerusalem. They not only killed thousands and thousands of people inside of the walls, but they totally destroyed the temple. They left not one stone upon another stone. I think Jesus, as he wrote him that day, he wept because they rejected him. He wept because he knew what was going to happen to them because of their rejection. But then look at verse 44 and I'm done. This is my point. This is really my whole message. The last phrase there said this, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In other words, you know what the Lord is saying? Jesus is saying this. The real problem is you don't know this is your day of opportunity. This is your day. The door is open to you. By Jesus, when he said this is the time of thy visitation, what he was saying was this, I come to save you. I come here to give you. Something. I come here to take something from you. I come to give you peace and joy. Let me take your burden of sin and the bondage of sin. I come to take that away and give you something in its place. But you didn't realize this was your day of opportunity. This was your this was your open door. This was your chance. And you blown it. This was your... This was your... For lack of a better word, this is your opportunity. This is your day of visitation. And Jesus said, you've blown it. Can I say this? And I'm, I'm wrapping up now. I'm coming in for a landing. But can I say this? This is our day of visitation. This is our day of opportunity. If you're here today and you've never been saved, this is your day. The Lord is passing by. For three plus years, Jesus had passed through Jerusalem. He had passed by. He had worked miracles. And now, their rejection, Jesus said, It's over. The day of opportunity, the day of visitation, is now past. But think about it. It hadn't passed for you because Jesus is passing by this morning here. He's in this place. And you know what He's wanting to do? He's wanting to take something from you the burden of your sin, the guilt that you live in the misery of a, of, a, of a life without Christ. He's wanting to take that from you and in its place. He's wanting to give you peace and joy and happiness and forgiveness for your guilt forgiveness, amen, for your guilt grace, for your sin salvation, for your hell heaven, for your filth forget whatever. I can't even think of enough words to even say. He's wanting to do that for you. This is your time. Are you going to let this pass on by? Are you going to turn a deaf ear to all that? You see, friend, your religion won't get you to heaven. You can't join enough Baptist churches to get you to heaven. You can't turn over enough new leaves. You can't do enough good works to outweigh your bad works. Our only hope is in Jesus. And this is the day that he's passing by. This is your day of visitation. This is your opportunity. This is your open door. This is your chance. Don't let him walk on by. Because, and this is my final statement, I'm done. Because Jesus wept on that Palm Sunday. Is Jesus still weeping today? Because you have turned him away. Better come to Jesus today and be saved because he is the only way to heaven. Let's pray.